بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد Every single person sitting here is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You are beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah loves you Allah cares for you Allah nurtures you He's nurturing you now Every moment every second Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking care of each and every one of us and the fact that he has allowed it to allowed us to come into his house to perform salah and thereafter spend a few moments this is another sign of his love now, do you know when we are focused on something? When we are intentional in our deen, intention, focus, is a very important role. So much so that the Prophet says that the intention of a believer is better than his action. So when we are focused, we start to see and notice and realize. And it changes the way we feel. The way we feel is how we're going to behave. This is human behavior. Human behavior, humans don't move away from this pattern. This is how Allah has created us. What we focus on, we will feel. How we feel, we behave. So, has it ever happened to you? For example, you've, like, you've bought a new car, or you're thinking of buying a particular car, right? Whatever make it is, you can apply it to your own scenario. Could be any make, whatever make it is. And up until then, you weren't thinking about that particular car. Now you're thinking of that car. When you're driving on the road, what do you notice? Yeah? Up until now, you're thinking you never saw this car before. You didn't see many of them. Now, every few cars, what you're noticing? You're seeing this car. What, have they all, all of a sudden, overnight, this car has increased? Has it? No. Why, why is it that you're, you're noticing them more? That's what you're focused on. That's what you're thinking about. So in our lives, Alhamdulillah, overall, if we were to zoom out, you know on your camera you've got zoom in, zoom out, right? If we zoom out and look at our life, if I was to look at my life as a bird's eye view, overall, Alhamdulillah, all we will say is Alhamdulillah. Everything's going okay. It's going well. I am blessed, Alhamdulillah. Yes, we all have ups and downs, this is dunya. So if there is one aspect, two aspects, which aren't going the way we want them to go, and if I zoom onto them, my focus is fully onto that. That's all I'm going to see. And that's what's happening at the moment. Our focus is on the one or two things that are not going so well. So throughout the day, that's all we're seeing. That's all we're noticing. Even when we go out into the world, we're seeing people who don't have that problem and we're looking at us as people who have that problem and then we're weighing ourselves accordingly. Imagine we flipped it, look, you've just seen now that this works. If you're thinking about a particular car and you go out into the world, you're going to see loads of those cars. So when I woke up now in the morning and the Sharia wants me to say the first thing, Alhamdulillah, Okay, gratitude in the first moment, 
you're looking for something that's going well to be grateful for. And the more intentional, the more focused and the most present we are, the more we will notice. When you're making wudu, for example, why, why is ihdarul niyyah so important? Having a niyyah each time you do something, why is it so important to be focused? We speak about the elements of khushu and the elements of being present and just not being on autopilot. Why is that so important? Why? Because it allows you, it allows you to be intentional in what you're doing. It's not just a routine. It's not just an autopilot. When I'm making wudu, for example, if I'm focused and present, one is I'm thinking about why I'm doing it. Okay, that's there already. But it, it carries with it so many benefits. You've turned on the tap, for example. The first thing you will notice if you're there, right? This is, we're not normally there. We're not there. Like now, I'm speaking now. Being intentional for me would be, I, I could be speaking, I could be doing all of this and not be here. Just on autopilot. You might think, hey, is that even possible? Yes, it is. And sadly, sadly, most of our life is like this. When I'm, when I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the next thing. When I'm there, I'm thinking about the thing after. So we're never present, right? A lot of us are with, with our kids. We think we're spending time with our children. Not really. They've been pulling at you for the last 10 minutes. We're not there. And we think we've done our duty of, you know, spending time with them and giving them our attention. But we weren't even there. We were somewhere else. Okay, the Prophet ﷺ, when he was with someone, he was fully there with them. So much so that every single person felt that he was loved by the Prophet ﷺ the most. So, when you're there, you're fully there, the first thing you'll notice, for example, is the water. The water itself. Uh, is water a blessing or not? Uh, imagine that we're starting off our day with real Alhamdulillah not just a habitual autopilot one when the water comes out the first thing how many people don't have water in the world right imagine like if my focus is going on these kind of things from the first thing i woke up in the morning right we all did this every this i'm not speaking about something abstract now this applies to every single one of you because this morning every single one of you you use water right had I been present at that moment and time, my mind would have gone thinking, wow, I am so blessed. I am so fortunate. Allah has been so kind to me. He's given me water. Water is life. Water is everything. So then that's one thing, right? You started washing your hands, right? We're washing our hands. What about the limbs that we have? The fingers then can you can you see how far this can go you, there's, there's no stop you'll keep noticing them you'll keep noticing one after the other a person takes the water in the mouth you've got your tongue you've got your teeth you this this is what you focus on you will feel so if I'm focusing on my blessings I will feel gratitude I won't wake up miserable even if things aren't going brilliant it will build within me this resilience to carry on, to continue. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Thus we find when we wake up in the morning, the first thing, Alhamdulillah, alladhi ahyana ba'dama amatana wa ilayhi nushur. You're wearing your clothes, again there, Alhamdulillah, 
الذي كساني هذا ورزقنيه من غير حول مني ولا قوة. Why do you think the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, whoever says this du'a, all of your sins are forgiven. Wearing clothes, reading a du'a, all of the sins are forgiven. Yes, because there's a very, very high level of gratitude being developed here and a high level of tawakkul because you're saying, oh Allah, you're everything and I'm nothing. Oh Allah, you did this and your clothes are with you all the time. So this is, if we do it focused at that time, it's something that's with you throughout the day. You can return back to it each and every time. That's if we are intentional. But if that's part of our just routine, Oh, just, just pop it on. Like we're all dressed, alhamdulillah. Right, everyone's dressed. May Allah keep us dressed. Okay? You know, Adam alayhi salam, this is a very old story. The oldest story. We find that when Adam alayhi salam and his wife, they did something which Allah told them not to, the immediate reaction was the stripping of the clothing. So this has always, from day one, the stripping of the clothing or being clothless has always been a sign of Allah's disobedience and His displeasure, right? And we're going through a time where this is becoming more and more common. This, this goes hand in hand. It's in the Quran. So, how did we get to that? So when we appreciate the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we will realize, we will realize how favored we are. So you've got the dua of waking up, you've got the dua of wearing the clothes, right? Then immediately after that, you've got things like you're going to eat in the morning. That dua also, alhamdulillah. You'll see how many duas start with alhamdulillah, okay, leaving the bathroom. Already by now, already by now, with focus, we, our gratitude would have been up here had we been focused, right? And that changes the way you feel. And then that dictates the way you behave. You know, we're trying to be, bring good action, aren't we? Every single one of us, we're trying to bring in ourselves good action. Good action comes with your emotions, right? And your emotions change by the way you think. And this is why the Sharia has so much emphasis on our thoughts, the way we think, our perceptions. The Prophet ﷺ, when he came to the Sahaba, this one thing he was working on, changing their mindset, changing their perception. That's what the Quran does all the time. All the time, that's all it's doing. And the, the better we are doing that, the better it will change the way we feel and our emotions. And that is what drives actions. So many times we try to bring in good habits and give up bad habits, but we can't. Why? because they're driven by these two things. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something very different now. Can you stand up in your places, please? Let's... Uh... I know it's early in the morning, but inshallah, this will be beneficial. Right, what I want you to do, wherever you are, this is a continuation from what we've been discussing over the last several weeks. So... Wherever you are, just be relaxed, okay? And I want you to close your eyes. Don't open your eyes. Close your eyes and keep them closed. Close your eyes, please. Close your eyes. Yep, Jazakumullah. Keep your eyes closed now. With your eyes closed, I want you to imagine you're outside a masjid. You're outside a masjid, any masjid. 
and the most flashiest and the hottest car just drives up. Think of the sound of the engine, the turbo. The paint is shining, sparkling new, and it just drives up and it stops right outside the masjid. You're standing there, and this car, this really flashy car, it's one of those cars that people usually stand next to and take pictures. So this car has stopped outside the masjid, and all of a sudden the door opens, makes a sound, and the Imam walks out of the car. He's wearing Ray-Ban shades, and he comes out of the car, and he walks up to you, and he asks you, is the Salah over? Open your eyes. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a question. Right, actually, close your eyes for this as well, because you'll be influenced by what others say. So close your eyes again for a second or two. Right, put your hand up. Keep your eyes closed. Put your hand up if you had positive thoughts, positive feelings towards this Imam. Put your hand up if you had a positive feeling towards this Imam. Okay, put your hand up if you had a negative feeling towards this Imam. And put your hand up if you were neutral towards the Imam. Okay, that's fine. Jazakallah. Right. Let's, let's, let's understand. Okay, who put the hand up saying they felt negative? Uh, brother, you can open your eyes now. Zakaria? No. Zaid. Zaid, you, you said you felt negative towards the Imam. Why do you say that? The question that he, is the Salah over? Okay, is the Salah over? Who else said they felt negative towards the Imam? Yes, Omer. He's got the dunya stuff, so that creates negativity. Anyone else? Yes. Surely he should know the Salah time. He's the Imam. Of course he should know the Salah time. Anyone else? Who, who else was uh, negative? There was more negative hands, by the way. You, you can be open, it's fine. Yes. Why is he asking about the time? Okay. And who else was uh, put the hand up for it? Yes, Adam. His, you put your hand up to say you had negative feelings towards the Imam. Because his focus is elsewhere. Thus you had negative feelings about the Imam because you think his focus might be, might be elsewhere. Okay. Who else put the hand up for negative? We, we, had, we had more than that. Yep. One, any, any, one more? Anyone more? Anyone who put their hand up for negative? Okay, that's fine. What about those who said positive? Um, you had your hand up for, you felt positive towards, oh no, you said neutral. Okay, neutral is, neutral is fine. Who's, who put the hand up for positive? We had a couple who, yes, Ahmad. Okay, you thought Allah's blessed him. Okay, anyone else for positive? Yes.
So you made an excuse for him, not necessarily thinking positive of him, maybe neutral then. Yeah? Okay. What we've just done now has got nothing to do with the Imam. Nothing to do with the Imam. What we all just said, this is you. This is you and how you think about yourself. And you're projecting that onto the Imam. We don't know this Imam. We don't know if that's his car. I didn't even tell you what car it is, right? You made your own car in your head, right? What color was your car? Yellow, right? Uh, what color was yours? Yours was yellow as well, subhanAllah. Habib? Red, right? Some of you had a, I didn't say Ferrari because some of you don't like Ferraris. But everyone created their own image in their head, right? And when I said Imam, you probably thought of an Imam, Okay, and each of these things carry. Now, what I'm tying this up with is what we've been discussing last week is something called, it's a cognitive distortion, an unhealthy pattern of thinking called overgeneralization. And this is what we do. Something might have happened before. You might know an imam, or you might have seen someone with a flashy car, or you might know someone that's come late. And what we've done is we've taken that incident and we've applied it. To this scenario and this happens again and again and again and this is an unhealthy thinking pattern right? you can sit down now you guys might be thinking what is going on right so we're thinking about at the moment we're discussing unhealthy thinking patterns and we've covered a number of them so far and the one we started last week was over generalization our mind already does three things to any kind of information that comes into it. You know, when, when we hear anything, when we see an event, when we come across an individual, when someone says even one word, there are two types of filters that every piece of information goes through that comes to us. First is the five senses that we have, right? So the five senses, alhamdulillah, we are blessed with them, but they're not perfect, right? And the second filter is our own past experience. And mine will be very different to Ahmad Bais, for example. Mine will be very different to Dr. Habib's. And you can apply that to every single word. Let, uh, let me show you something. Let's try this out. Can I ask you to close your eyes again? Just for a minute. Right, close your eyes. I want you to think of a horse. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to think of a horse. Just think of a horse. What color is it? Where are you? Are you inside? Are you outside? What kind of smells can you smell around it? Is anyone else present? Is it moving fast? Is it moving slow? Open your eyes. Mr. Ali, what color was your horse? What was it doing? Lloyd's. Lloyd's Bank. Okay. Uh, is it Ibrahim's? What, what color was your horse? White. Where was it? Outside. Huh? Erturov. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. Uh, Dr. Habib, white one. And how did you feel? 
You don't have any feelings. There's any sounds? Fresh air. Can you see? That's just one word. Horse. I just said one word. One word, right? And we've all got our own interpretation, representation from one word. Do you know, just knowing this allows you to be much more compassionate towards people. Because when, you, when someone hears something, when you're talking to people, when they hear something, this filters there and they see in their own way. Might not be the necessarily accurately true, but everyone's got these filters. And we don't, we want to be too hard on ourselves as well. And we won't be too hard on other people because everyone sees things so differently. And that's just one word. Imagine like we could do so many different ones of these and you'll see how everyone views it differently. I said one word for some people that could have triggered some bad memory and you'd have gone down memory lane and the, imagine somebody got kicked by a horse, right? So well, the mind automatically does three things to general pieces of information. One is deletion, which is a blessing as well, because we're taking in millions, millions of pieces of information, right? And we only remember a handful of them. So most of the things, majority of the things the mind deletes, it doesn't remember, right? What is being taken in by the senses. Number two, the second thing the mind does is called distortion. You see something small, it shows you this big, right? You see something big, it shows you this small. And the third thing it does, it generalizes. It ties in what, what we're speaking about now. You see something once and you apply it. Your brain learns a pattern. Okay, if it happened this time, it's going to keep happening. That's not necessarily true. So the problem here is generalization is okay. Like when you grow up, for example, as a young kid, you don't know how to open a door. You're fascinated by doors. Wow. Human beings, my mom, she goes to this side of this wall and then all of a sudden she ends on a, up on the other side. That's fascinating. And then when the child observes very carefully, you see that there's a doorknob. And what, what my mom does is she, she turns it round and that's how it opens. So there you've learned a new behavior there. That when you turn the doorknob, you open the door. So as a child now, you're three years old, you know that you hold it and you turn it. And, and, and the door opens. A year later, you come across another door, but it doesn't have a knob, it has a handle. You try doing the same thing, but it doesn't work. But because your brain's learned that pattern, nobody needs to tell you this now because you generalize that information. And you, you kind of think, mm, if it's not that, then it might be this, but the door needs to be pushed. Then you might come across a door with no handle at all. And because the previous doors swung open, you're going to try and swing it open. And this is what happens. I'm not talking about when you go somewhere and it says push and you're pulling there. That's different. Okay. You look around saying, hope no one saw me do that. Okay. So that's okay because that's normal. That's generalization. What we're speaking about now is overgeneralization. Overgeneralization. And when we have overgeneralization, what happens is we take one event, right? And we apply it to everyone. If someone, for example, did something to you, you think everyone's going to do this to me. And why is this problematic? Because it's problematic for our life, for our relationships, and more importantly, in our relationship with Allah, it's problematic. 
And we're going to speak about one thing in particular, and that is trust and betrayal. Because we need to trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's been shown and proven, when somebody loses trust in people, that same individual begins to lose trust in Allah as well. Why does that happen? I'm going to speak about that as we go along. So let's look at a case study first of all. I told you last week that we'll speak about a case study to understand this better. So last week we introduced the idea of overgeneralization, gave some examples and how it affects us in our daily lives. So there's a woman by the name of Kathleen, Christian. She had never loved anybody the way she loved Mustafa. Mustafa, obviously a Muslim. They met in college and very quickly they realized that this relationship is something they're going to take seriously. They dated for a while and then they started discussing marriage. Mustafa told Kathleen that he wanted the future mother of his children to be Muslim. So Kathleen started studying Islam and she found that Islam had many similarities to what she already believed in. Had she not met Mustafa, she would have never learned or studied anything about Islam. But she felt very comfortable about converting. She converted and then she had a very small ceremony in a local masjid. They got married and they were happily married for 10 years. Over the course of 10 years, they had three children and they gradually, both of them, husband and wife, started learning more and more about Islam. Mustafa started getting more involved in community projects. And not only that, he was running classes at the masjid. So he was teaching people about Islam at the masjid. And his schedule started becoming more and more busy. Kathleen was left at home looking after the three children whilst Mustafa spent most of his time running the classes at the masjid. One day at home in the evening, Mustafa and Kathleen were sitting and Kathleen brings up this issue that Mustafa spending a lot of time away from home. A lot of his time is going at the masjid. She's alone looking after the children. So whilst this discussion was ongoing, reluctantly and very hesitantly, Mustafa brought up that he's been having an affair. When Kathleen heard this, it had never crossed her mind. She was absolutely stunned. He said that he feared telling her before because he didn't know how she was going to react. She never thought infidelity was an option from someone who was apparently spiritually practicing every single day. So suddenly now, Kathleen is plagued with doubts, including unsettling questions regarding her faith, regarding her Iman. Mustafa is the one who introduced her to Islam. Mustafa is the one who taught her Islam. Mustafa is the one who guided her to Islam. But the same person who was guiding her has now betrayed her. She feels now that if this is what Islam is about, I don't want anything to do with Islam. She found herself thinking that someone I looked up to so much, someone I loved so much, someone I told everything has betrayed me, if I can't trust him, how can I trust anyone? Someone as close as that to me. When some, so can I ever trust again? This is the case study over. We'll be revisiting this case study once we've finished discussing this topic in a couple of weeks, inshallah. So I want you to remember this case study. However, what we understand here is when someone you trust betrays you, 
it's very painful. Very, very painful. Now, I can imagine that um, we can hear, uh, we might have been through similar scenarios, and I, I, my intention is not to bring up any past wounds, but it's important that we speak about these things because this directly impacts our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we're going to learn, and it directly impacts our relationship with the people as well. So, do you know, you might, no one's actually physically hit you, but there is a very strong physical pain as well. It's like someone's punched you in the gut. Do you know when someone punches you in the stomach, what happens? You get winded. It's a very similar feeling. When you feel you've been lied to, cheated on, betrayed, someone's gone, and it could be in, there's so many different forms. And I'm sure to some kind of an extent, if, if not as serious as others, we've all been through something like this before. Now, imagine someone like crosses you in a business deal, right? You've got this really lucrative offer. Um, it was something, uh, you know, that you thought that, you know, and you've shared it with someone very close to you. You've told them all the ins and outs and you're really excited about it. And before you knew, you knew it, they've gone and crossed you there. They've gone and made the purchase. They've gone and put, it, put the price to, you know, put the price up or they've gone and, you know, made the deal for themselves or whatever it is, right? How do you feel? If a person in authority, for example, abuses their power, it could be an imam. It could be a relative, and this is something that happens. It could be a caretaker, a caregiver, an uncle, a grandfather, maybe touches somebody in, in, a, in a non appropriate manner, right? And you'd never ever thought that this would ever happen. Or, for example, you realize that for a long period of time you've been lied to and you've been believing, and you're the only, you've only just found out that all these years. It was all a lie, right? How does that feel? No one's physically died. However, you feel a part of your life is dead. And that's why this betrayal and being lied to in this manner is quite serious. And there's two areas. First of all, it's a breach of trust, number one. And number two, that feeling that you've been lied to for so long, these two things, you know, it's, it's, it's something that really knocks a person out. And when this happens after betrayal, what happens automatically is you start looking out for threats because it's happened once now, right? Automatically what happens is the brain starts looking for threats. And you think if the person I trusted the most has betrayed me, how can I ever trust anyone again? How, last week we spoke about how common is it everybody says nowadays, you can't trust anybody. I can't trust anyone. Right? Is that true? It's not true. This is overgeneralization. There are people you can trust. Right? People are worthy of your trust. Yes, we might have had a few bad experiences. That doesn't mean all women are bad drivers. That's one of them we spoke about last week as well. Okay, we have a lot of statements which we look at and they are overgeneralized and we apply them to everyone. Like before when we were speaking, maybe you had overgeneralized in your head people that are rich. So as soon as you thought about a flashy car, you just thought, hmm, rich people are like this, right? Overgeneralized statement. 
and then you saw an imam and you thought, well, and you might have an overgeneralized statement of maybe you've come across an imam, right, who there was an unpleasant situation that happened and you've just applied it to all imams and especially imams, flashy car, coming late, all of these things, whereas that imam bichara, maybe he's just drove down the car with his friend's car, right? He let him take a ride. It could have been anything, right? We didn't even talk about any of that. That doesn't really matter. What we were seeing is ourselves. We weren't seeing the imam. We were seeing our way of thinking. And that's why it's so important to learn about yourself. Wafi anfusikum. Allah says, Wafi anfusikum. Because this impacts our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, one of the reasons why this can cause instability with our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can betrayal or losing trust in people create instability with our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is because when you lose trust in someone, this they speak about this in attachment theory, when you lose trust in somebody, automatically the next time you want to trust anyone that includes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your brain switches on and there's an alert. 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 What happened to you last time? And it puts you in alert mode. And this is why a lot of people, when they go through betrayal, when they lose trust, they end up losing their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Because we start fearing everyone and anything because we don't want to feel losing closeness to somebody again. Now you might think, why? The reason is that the brain area associated with trusting people is the same area, same brain area we need to trust Allah. Anybody knows what that part of the brain is called? Anyone? Dr. Sab, can you help us? <laughs> What's, what, which is the brain area? No, the cortex is at the front. The brain area... Go on. Yep, the limbic system. So we're speaking about the amygdala in, in particular. So the area of the brain that is responsible for trusting people that is the same area of the brain we need to trust Allah. So what happens is when you want to trust anyone, even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you've been through this experience once before, automatically that threat switches on and someone begins to get these feelings. And there might people not, might not say it to you, but I have people coming to me and speaking these things, right? Not everyone speaks aloud what they're thinking. A lot of, most of what, it's all in here, right? And it just goes round and round and it drives us crazy, right? But when you hear what people are actually saying, you learn these things and you find, hang on, this is, there's a pattern here and this is what's happening. And we go through this. This is something that's proven, we go through this. But the good thing is, alhamdulillah, the brain has a lot of flexibility. The brain isn't fixed. It's not static. You can change that. So this, and do you know what? For the time being, if that thought does occur, that's fine. 
Some people fill themselves with guilt and shame, thinking, how dare, how, why did I think that about Allah? No, Rasulullah has said that Allah has forgiven the involuntary thoughts or the intrusive thoughts that come upon the minds of my ummah. Okay, so sometimes when you're in that situation, that kind of thought can come passing through your head. That doesn't mean that thought's going to be there forever. And we can generalize and thinking, okay, this is it now. This is how it's always going to be. No, telling yourself that this is just for now. You will trust Allah again, much better. Your reliance on Allah will become better again in the future when things become a little bit better. At, at this moment in time, things are a little bit turbulent. This is why, and just knowing this, having this knowledge and awareness is very empowering. It makes, because at that time, you're not gonna, because what happens is if at that time, you're feeling low, and then you're thinking, hang on, I can't trust anyone. So normally you'd go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is it that in many situations, you think, you're telling, and, and here you are, right? Somebody's come to you for advice and you're telling them, oh, turn to Allah, turn to Allah, brother. Brother, turn to Allah. This guy's thinking the total opposite in the head. Or they're already turning to Allah, but something's not working. They're already praying. They're already praying to Hajjud. So when you're giving that advice to them, they're thinking, hang on a second. Do you think I'm a bad person or something? Am I not already, I'm already praying. I just had a case two days ago where there was an individual who's going through some difficulties and someone very close to them is advising them, you need to pray. This person praying more than ever. Okay, it makes them feel inadequate. This is called spiritual bypassing where we're kind of just making them feel that this is happening to you because you're not praying. They're praying more than you. They're doing all their adhkar. They're turning to Allah. They already know they're a good Muslim. They already know praying is a solution. Let's not make people feel that it's, this is the only reason why things happen to them. They already pray. The Iman is already good. Okay, feeling this way isn't a sign of weak Iman. Otherwise, Maryam salam wouldn't have wished death upon herself. Okay, her Iman was so high. Yaqub would have spent so many years being traumatized with his grief, so much so that he lost his eyesight. If that was against Iman, you're allowed to feel these emotions because we're human beings. So what happens here is an individual going through this, when you lose trust in people, a person can have instability in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At that time, it's very helpful to know that you're struggling now but the brain is very flexible. It can learn to build trust again in future. Now, one of the reasons tying this in, why does this happen? Because of overgeneralization. What did we say overgeneralization was last week? That we take one incident, one circumstance, one thing that happened, and then we apply it. For example, somebody was robbed on one street. Okay, we hear about a robbery. And we think, right, this, the, this city is unsafe. You go to Coventry, for example, you eat at a restaurant, you get food poisoning. Restaurants in Coventry are very bad. Okay, this is overgeneralized. We're doing it all the time. We're doing it all the time without realizing. And it's making our life difficult. The worst part of it is that it can lead to losing trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we're not careful. This is why this is something we must be focused on. We spoke about in the beginning how when we wake up in the morning, we need to have a bank of good thoughts. That's what we need because this is what we want drive the way we feel. How we feel is how we're going to behave. 
And inevitably, that's what we need. We need good behavior in the sight of Allah. It comes from, this is the pattern. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Now, last week, when we finished, um, I didn't really give you a task or didn't say what the week's assignment is going to be, how we're going to, and uh, mashallah, Dr. Habib uh, reminded me after Juma that the least I could have said was just focus and notice during the week if we are making any overgeneralized statements or any of our thought patterns. And I think that's quite profound because that is the first step. So for this week, inshallah, as Dr. Sab advised, this is what we're going to do, inshallah. I, all I want you to do is just notice more. Just take more notice. Be more focused throughout the week when we say things and the way we think. Do I have overgeneralized statements? Do I have overgeneralized thinking? Am I taking one incident, one thing that happened, and then just applying it everywhere? And this is the first step. The first step is to notice, to become self-aware, to know. And this, this is, inshallah, will be very, very helpful. Next week, inshallah, when we get back together, I'll ask and see how we're doing. Did you notice anything? Where were you noticing these patterns the most? And sometimes it happens in certain areas of our life or with certain people or certain scenarios. And slowly, slowly, we'll start unraveling this and learn how to overcome this, inshallah, so that it helps us develop a better relationship, number one, with ourselves, which is imperative, okay? a better relationship with other people and ultimately a better relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Okay, this week's lesson, who remembers the lesson number? Sixty? Sixty-seven? That's correct. MashaAllah. So the question we have this week, which prophets and Sahaba are buried in Palestine? Which prophets and Sahaba are buried in Palestine? And remember, our main purpose of getting together is for the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, our weekly get together is for this cause inshallah and we hope that through this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow us to be utilized towards the fatih the conquest the liberation of Baytul Maqdis might not happen in our time but when tomorrow on the day of Qiyamah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise those people who work towards the liberation of Baytul Maqdis our names will be in that list as well just like Salahuddin Ayyubi rahmatullahi's mentor Nuruddin Zinki rahmatullahi prepared a mimbar 20 years before with the intention that this will be placed inside Masjid al-Aqsa. He passed away. But Allah accepted his intention that it remained in Masjid al-Aqsa for 800 years. 40,000 Jummah khutbahs were delivered on that. So when a person has a good niyyah, Allah utilizes this individual and blesses them as well. So we hope the same inshallah through this weekly get together, Allah utilizes us for the service of Baytul Maqdis, inshallah. So this week's question is, which prophets and sahaba are buried in Palestine? 
So we'll, well, we'll come to that inshallah. One of the specialities of Palestine is that it is a land on which numerous prophets, Sahaba and saints lived, worshipped, preached, passed away and also were buried. So one is that many people pray, many prophets prayed there, worshipped there, but also they were buried in the soil of Palestine. There were others that didn't get an opportunity, other prophets that didn't get an opportunity to visit, pray, or frequent Masjid Al-Aqsa in Palestine and Bayt Al-Maqdis. However, they left behind a will that if I ever die anywhere else, bury me in Palestine or bury me close to Masjid Al-Aqsa. Let's look at some of these examples. First of all, Ibrahim alayhi salam, the greatest prophet after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, migrated from from Iraq all the way to Palestine and he chose in particular Hebron the city of Al-Khalil that is known today to be his place of residence so he lived there he worshipped there he built a monotheistic community on Tawheed and during his lifetime during his lifetime uh, what happens is his wife passed away who was his wife? Sarah when Sarah passed away, Ibrahim went in search for a place to bury her and he came across a cave. He purchases the cave and then takes the body of his wife Sarah and buries her there. So Sarah is now buried in this cave in Palestine, in Hebron, in Al-Khalil. Some years later, Ibrahim passed away. His, both his sons, Ismail, who's living in Mecca, Ishaq, who's living in Jerusalem, they come and now they bury their father in the same cave next to their mother who's their mother Sarah well mother of Ishaq some years later at the age of 180 Ishaq passes away and his son who is Yaqub Ibrahim is gone now Yaqub okay he buries his father next to his next to his father's mother and father so ishaq is also now buried by yaqub in this cave with his parents now the historians mentioned that yaqub was living in Canaan in palestine we know that already from the story of yusuf but towards the end of his life at the age of 130 what happens we're not going to go into the story of yusuf now we don't have the time but what happens? The moon and the star, they were prostrating. What did that mean? Yeah, prostrating. So what did they do? They undertook the journey. They left Palestine. And where have they gone now? They've gone to Egypt, right? So at the age of 130, Yaqub went to Egypt and he was living in Egypt. And not only did he live in Egypt, 17 years later at the age of 147, Yaqub passed away in Egypt, not Palestine. So he lived his entire life in Baytul Maqdis. However, he passes away in Egypt. Yusuf took permission from the king that, oh king, please allow me. I want to transport the body of my father and take him to Hebron Al-Khalil. Thus Yusuf brings Yaqub from Egypt and buries him in the same place, in that same cave with Sarah, 
Ibrahim السلام, and Ishaq السلام, and already is there the wife of Ishaq السلام, Rifqa is already buried there as well and now you've got Yaqub now Yusuf السلام, as we know he lived in Palestine but from a young age he got thrown into the well so before he got prophethood he was in Palestine Post-Prophethood, Yusuf didn't get a chance to visit Palestine or worship there or live there for a long period. So Yusuf is now living in Egypt. Now, how do we know about Yusuf and how did Yusuf get buried here? There's a very interesting narration in Mustadrak of Imam Hakim where the Prophet um, he was addressing the Sahaba. Uh, so so th there, was, there was a Bedouin that came. There was a Bedouin that had a connection with the Prophet ﷺ who lived in the village. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he would go to the villages, he would go and visit this Bedouin. Good friendship. And the Bedouin would, you know, look after the Prophet ﷺ, bring some of the vegetables and host the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ told him, next time you come Medina, come down to my house. You're always looking after me. Right, and he would reciprocate. Come down, eat dinner. Come down to our place. So Bedouin one day comes to Medina. He visits the Prophet and the Prophet said, Bedouin, make a request. Make a request. And he made a request, and he said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I want a camel and a goat. And the Prophet said, Is that it? Like you're asking the, you can have anything. You can't have absolutely anything. He said, yeah, that's all I want. I just want a goat that will give milk and a camel that we can ride on and we can use. And the Prophet ﷺ addresses the Sahaba and he said to the Sahaba, like, don't be incapable and don't like aim so low. Instead, you should aim high like the old woman of Bani Israel. Don't aim low in life. Don't just go for the basic. Aim high. And we've been told when you ask for Jannah, you ask for Al-Firidaus. So aim high like the old woman of Bani Israel. So the Sahaba said, who's the Ajuz of Bani Israel? Who's this old woman of Bani Israel? So the Prophet wasallam said, when Yusuf salam was about to pass away, sorry, before this, before this, when Musa salam, when Musa salam was leaving Egypt with the Bani Israel. So imagine the Bani Israel are going, Musa salam is with them. They lost their way. The hadith says, they lost the way. Musa salam said to the rabbis, what's going on? Like, you're supposed to work out the route. Why are we lost? So the rabbis, the ulama of the Yahud said to Musa salam, this is in the hadith, that when Yusuf salam passed away, as he was on his deathbed, he told us that, O Bani Israel, if you ever leave Egypt and head towards Baytul Maqdis, take my body with you. It seems that that has become the obstacle of us not finding our way. Musa said, well, who knows where Yusuf is buried? It's been so many years. So some of the ulama of the Yahud said, yes, there is an Ajuz. There is an old woman. She's the only one who has the knowledge of the burial site of Yusuf. So they go to this old woman. Musa is calling you. So the old woman comes. And Musa says, right, hand it over. Give us a secret. 
Where is Yusuf alayhi salam buried? I'm not going to tell you. What do you mean you're not going to tell me? I'm asking you, tell me where he's buried. I'm not going to tell you. I'll only tell you if you fulfill a condition of mine. Musa alayhi salam, who are you? I don't even know who you are. Why should I do what you're saying? Right, fine, go on then. Tell me, what do you want? I want your companionship in Jannah. Musa alayhi salam is thinking, I don't even know who you are. And he gets angry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires to Musa alayhi salam, give it to her. Give her what she wanted. She asked for your companionship, give it to her. Musa alayhi salam makes dua that, Oh Allah, make this old woman my companion in Jannah. The old woman says, go to so-and-so pond, empty the water of the pond, dig in the area which I show you. And the Bani Israel went, they started digging and they found Yusuf alayhi salam. And we know Anbiya alayhi salatu wasalam are within their qubur. It doesn't affect them, impact them whatsoever. And they took the body of Yusuf alayhi salam. The hadith mentions, as soon as they raised the casket, the path opened up as if they were never lost. And they continued. And then this is how Yusuf alayhi salam, despite being passing away in Egypt, he is now taken to Palestine by Tulbaqdis. And now anybody that goes to Hebron al-Khalil will find that Yusuf is also buried amongst the seven personalities that are buried in al-Khalil. So that's another individual, another prophet that is buried in. So although he didn't pass away in Palestine, he left behind a will and he bequested the companions he had in the ulama that no matter what happens, right? I don't, I want to be buried there as well. There must be something special about that land that people are prophets are desiring to be buried there. Imam Bukhari has listed a chapter in his Sahih. The chapter on the one who desires to be buried in the Holy Land or near it. The chapter regarding the one who desires to be buried in the Holy Land or near it. And which hadith does he bring? He brings the hadith of Musa alayhi salam, which we find in Sahih al-Bukhari. When the angel of death came to Musa alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam slapped the angel of death so hard that the eyeball came out from his socket. Angel of death goes back to Allah. Oh Allah, you sent me to someone who doesn't want to die. Allah says, go back to him and tell him that you have come from Allah. This time Musa alayhi salam is aware that this is the angel of death. The angel of death comes back to Musa alayhi salam. He says, Allah has sent me. It's time to go. Chalo, let's go. Musa, it's time to go. And alternatively, Allah has given you an option. Place your hand on the back of an ox. However many strands of hair are beneath your hand, Allah is willing to give you that many more years to live. Let's say, for example, there's a hundred strands of hair. You can live another hundred years. Musa salam said, Thumma After hundred years, what's going to happen? He was told, Thumma al-Maut. After 100 years, you have to die as well. So he said, that's fine. I'm not going to wait for another 100 years. Allah wants me to go now. I'll go now. However, I have one request. I want to be ramyatan bi hajar min al I want to die a stone throw away from the Holy Land. Thus the angels carried him, bought him a stone throw away from Baytul Maqdis. And this is where he passes away. Now the hadith doesn't stop here. The Prophet is talking to the Sahaba and he says to the Sahaba, if I was there, if I was there in Jerusalem, 
in Baytul Maqdis. Oh my Sahaba, I would personally be your tour guide and I would have shown you where Musa Islam is buried. And then he gave a description. He's buried amongst the red hills by the roadside. And then he says, on the night of Mi'raj, when I arrived to Baytul Maqdis, as I was flying on that burak, I saw Musa salam performing salah in his grave. So this is Musa salam. Although he didn't pass away there, he also desired and his body was taken closer, if not all the way in, to Baytul Maqdis. Dawud lived his entire life in Baytul Maqdis, worshipped there, ruled there, passed away there, is buried there. Sulaiman we spoke about him last week, lived his entire life in Baytul Maqdis and passes away whilst he's still resting on the stick on the Quran speaks about the final moments of Sulaiman alayhi salam. We know Zakaria alayhi salam, Yahya alayhi salam. According to some narrations, they were both killed by the people. Allah knows best. Mostly from Israeliyat, Allah knows best. However, we know that they lived, worshipped and also passed away in Baytul Maqdis. And some of the names of the Sahaba, there are many Sahaba who traveled there. Many, many, many of them passed away and are buried there. Just think about the town of Amwas. 25 to 35,000 Sahaba and Tabi'een passed away in the plague of Amwas and are all buried there. But we don't know then all of their names. But some of the names that have been mentioned, one of them, Ubadah ibn Samit, buried next to Masjid al-Aqsa. Shaddad ibn Aws, buried next to Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, Sulama bin Qaysar radiallahu anhu, Fayrawza Daylami radiallahu anhu, and Abu Abil Ansari was the last amongst the Sahaba, not Abu Ayyub, Abu Abil Ansari, last amongst the Sahaba to pass away in Baytul Maqdis. So this is a whole list of Anbiya and Sahaba who either passed away there or desired to pass away. Now, what's this week's campaign? This week's campaign is, this week, when you raise your hands to make dua, we're going to make a special dua. And this is something we should be saying anyway, that, oh Allah, we should be thinking about our final moments. Oh Allah, grant me death in Makkah and burial there. Or grant me death in Medina and burial there. And you're going to add on now, oh Allah, either give me death in Makkah and burial, or give me death and burial in Medina, or give me death and burial in Baytul Maqdis. Because Imam Bukhari brings this chapter, regarding those who desire to be buried in the Holy Land and he brings the story of Musa proving this is also a land which is desired by the saints, by the awliya, by the prophets of Allah to be buried there. Not just Makkah and Medina, like we understand that Makkah and Medina are places that should be visited and Baytul Maqdis should also be visited exactly in the same way, like a Muslim should have a desire to pass away in Makkah and Medina we learn from the Sharia that that desire should also be present that I would die, love to die in Baytul Maqdis and be buried there as well. Everybody will do this inshallah. So when we make dua, keep this in mind. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Now we shall give a few minutes to recite the Quran. Those following from home also, if you can spare a few minutes inshallah, uh, reciting some Quran. For some of us, this might be the only time in the week where we're reading the Quran. So make the most of it. Even if it's a few minutes done once a week, it's better than not reading at all.
Inshallah, we'll conclude with the dhikr and dua. Thereafter will be time for ishraq. We do our ishraq and head upstairs. Breakfast will be served for everyone. Jazakumullah khairan for attending. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everyone's coming here. Make it beneficial and make it a means of our salvation on the day of judgment. Jazakumullah khairan. Oh yes, so today we have, um, alhamdulillah, the masjid has taken on this task of distributing food packs, the crisis that we're living through at the moment. We might not realize because, alhamdulillah, it might have not affected us as much, but there are many people uh, living maybe next to us, around us, within our community, who are struggling to just get normal day-to-day -day groceries even. So, alhamdulillah, working with uh, Islamic Relief, there are these food packs that will be prepared. We've taken on the task of doing 500. Um, we'll be doing about 200 this week, inshallah. And uh, in the afternoon, if you have time and if you can come, especially if you can bring the children to be involved in this as well, to help pack these items. And then, um, if you know anybody that is in need, is struggling to get by, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor. They don't have to be Muslim. Remember, these are acts of humanity and it can be extended to absolutely anyone. Um, you can take a pack with you or two or however many you, ca you can distribute, inshallah. So if you can come and take part, and again, open to all brothers, sisters, children, as with all our activities, events, programs, always open to all brothers, all sisters, all children, all times of the day, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everyone. Allah, la ilaha illallah 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 la ilaha illallah
ഹീം O most compassionate Allah O Allah you are the most forgiving you are the most loving you are the most kind O Allah you love to forgive sins of Allah you are ghaffar you are the only one who can forgive sins of Allah O kind and loving Allah O most merciful Allah O most forgiving Allah O Allah forgive all our sins we have many sins of Allah from head to toe we are covered in our sins of Allah You are the forgiver O oh Allah we ask only of you O oh Allah grant us your forgiveness O oh Allah grant us your forgiveness O oh Allah grant us your forgiveness O oh Allah O oh Allah create the hatred of sins in our hearts O oh Allah help us to stay away from your disobedience O oh Allah grant us the love of your obedience O oh Allah make us punctual on our five times salah O oh Allah help us to recite the Quran on a daily basis O oh Allah help us to always remember you O oh Allah grant us a heart filled with shukr and gratitude O oh Allah help us to always be grateful for your bounties oh allah help us to always have husnul dhan in you oh allah grant us complete tawakkul in you oh allah grant us a life of halal oh allah grant us a life of taqwa oh allah save god and protect us from haram oh allah grant us baraka in our lives oh allah grant us afia oh allah grant us afia oh allah grant us afia oh allah look after our parents oh allah have mercy on our parents oh allah accept the good deeds of our parents oh allah grant guidance to our parents so allah keep our parents guided oh allah grant them shifa from their ailments oh allah those of our parents who have left the world fill their graves with noor oh allah elevate their status in the hereafter oh allah a time will come when we all have to leave the world oh allah we don't know where we will be what condition we will be in oh allah we beg for your mercy in those final moments oh allah make our last day our best day oh allah make our last action our best action oh allah and grant us the kalima la ilaha illa allah Muhammadur Rasulullah when we are leaving the world of Allah Allah protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain of Allah protect the sanctity of Masjid 
Masjidul Aqsa, O Allah. Grant liberation to Baytul Maqdis, O Allah. Protect those who are protecting Baytul Maqdis, O Allah. O Allah, end the occupation, O Allah. Grant guidance to those who are oppressing, O Allah. If guidance isn't written for them, O Allah, you deal with them in the best of ways, O Allah. O Allah, strengthen those who are protecting the holy lands, O Allah. Grant them steadfastness, O Allah. Grant them istiqama, O Allah. Strengthen their iman, O Allah. You take care of their iman, O Allah. You protect their wealth, O Allah. Protect their families, O Allah. Strengthen them, grant them sabr, O Allah. O Allah, grant them the ability to continue resisting, O Allah. They are taking care of them on obligation. On behalf of us, O Allah, reward them in the best of ways, O Allah. Become pleased with them, O Allah. Make them from amongst your beloved people, O Allah. O Allah, and grant them victory, O Allah. Grant them victory, O Allah. Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillah.